<laughs> How's it going? Good, good. Good to see you. Uh, we are at the beginning of Holy Week, a pretty fun time in the life of the church, right? Uh, we're really looking forward to our Easter week services, and we would love to see most, if not all of your faces at one of those services, at least, if not all of them. You can, you can go overboard on this. This is one way you can go overboard. Come to all of them. Uh, and don't forget to grab, we still have some more invite cards in the lobby. You can grab one of those or a stack of them as you're heading out and invite somebody to come with you to one of the services in this next week. Well, this morning we're going to talk about Palm Sunday, but I want to start 12 hours earlier than we usually do when we talk about Palm Sunday. If you have your Bibles, you want to open up to John 12. That's where we're going to be at, uh, beginning in verse 1. We're going to talk about worship this morning, about the examples of this that we see in Mary and that we see in the crowd it, from John 12. So open up your Bible there. Of course, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one on the sides uh, or in the back. They're there for, for you to use. So don't feel shy about that. You know, I think as Americans, we are no stranger to being over the top. I think that's a fair comment. You guys might, you know, we're New Englanders, right? So we're the calm, reserved folks in America. But we are very, very comfortable with going over the top with things, especially with how we spend our money. Pushing on a button there, I know. Let's be honest, we're really, really happy. In fact, it might even be considered a value in America to want to spend money on yourself and doing something that you enjoy. I think that's something that we all, if we're being honest with ourselves, can agree with. Here's just a few thoughts. Maybe I'll, I'll poke some, some shoulders a little bit here. How many of us would be happy to go buy a Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski jersey for 100 bucks? Because you don't want to get the cheap knockoffs. You want the real thing from NFL.com. You go buy that, and then you go spend $300, and you get a ticket to a Patriots home game the whole time talking about how great of a deal you got for that $400, right? I think a few people here would be willing to do that. Maybe you're sitting there saying, ah, I don't waste my money on sports. I'm better than that. Okay, if you're so cultured, how about $300 to go to the Newport Jazz or Folk Festival? Getting a little bit more personal there. <laughs> I knew I'd have at least one fan over there. How about this? How many people like food? Would you be willing to spend $500 for an ultimate one-time-in-your-life foodie experience at the trendiest restaurant in New York City? Maybe. No? No? Okay, how about families? Would you ever consider spending two dollars to $3,000 to go down to Disney World? Pay for the flights, the hotels, and the week-long passes. Even if you don't want to, you would. That's the reality of it. And honestly, two to $3,000 is a lot of money. If we're, again, we're Americans, so we like this stuff, but it's a lot of money. And you would happily wear mouse ears the entire time that you were down there, right? If you were getting that foodie experience, if you're going to the folk festival, you're Instagramming the whole thing. You don't care how foolish you look, how over the top you look. You're just enjoying it. You're reveling in the goodness of what's happening to you. And we're certainly no strangers to giving good gifts to people that we like, right? And they're not always gifts that we necessarily care if they wanted. You know, if we're being honest. 
We don't, you know, we, we like to give things that we enjoy and they can like it or not. The British royal family, they put out a list every year of gifts that they receive. It's pretty interesting because people give weird things to royalty, to people they want to show off to. So at Queen Elizabeth's wedding, the country of Australia gave her a gift. Guess what it was? 500 cans of pineapple. I can guarantee that was not on the wedding registry. No one asked for that at all. In 1968, I think it was, she went to, on a trip to Brazil, the queen did. Any Brazilians in the house? I know we have a couple. Guess what the country of Brazil gave to Queen Elizabeth as a gift? Not one, but two sloths. I guess that she could take home and they could run around the, the castle wherever they wanted to. I don't know. At least they're slow, so you can catch them, right? I don't know. In 1974, the president of France decided to give Queen Elizabeth a gift when she came and visited. And he thought long and hard, what would the queen want? What does she not have? And this is what he came up with, a golden grasshopper that was a wine cooler. Yes, a golden grasshopper. And because you don't just want a wine cooler, you want a picnic table, right? So the wings fold up and create a table on top. So, you know, when the queen decides that she wants to go for a picnic, she doesn't have to worry about a blanket and just a normal wicker picnic basket. No, she just has her security guards carry her golden grasshopper for her. We can give pretty ridiculous types of gifts when we want to show off to people, when we have people that we uh, really like and respect and we give gifts that we care about. We don't care necessarily what they care about with it. You know, if you're married, you know this because you had a wedding registry. And you probably had a third grade teacher who gave you a framed copy of that macaroni art that you made for some reason. You know, we've all gotten gifts that we very quickly threw into the closet and then didn't pull back out ever again until it was safe to throw it away. And we spend lots and lots of money on all the above. And there's nothing wrong with this, kind of in general. I'm not here to regulate your spending this morning. All I want to point out is that we have a, compa a capacity to do something. We have a capacity to be extravagant in how we live. Each and every one of us has that. We have a capacity to be like Mary, who we're going to read about in John 12. We're just not always focused on the right object of our extravagance. Sometimes we're looking all over the place at different things. And this morning, I think Mary's going to focus us to ask this question. Are we willing to be extravagant in our worship of Jesus? Are we willing to worship Jesus in a way that might make other people stop and look at, look at us and think, what the heck is wrong with you? That's what happened to her. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So will you pray with me as we begin before we read from John 12? Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now and to be here with us. I just thank you for what it is that you have for us, for what it is that you're wanting to say to us. I just pray that this morning that you'll speak clearly to each and every one of us what it is that's on your heart. Make us aware of you. Make us more aware of who you are, Jesus as we leave than when we came in. Let us know you more deeply. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So John 12, open up your Bible if you're not already there. Let's read, beginning in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. That's cut and dry, John. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So here we see two very important things happening. One that Jesus tells us directly. He says that she's preparing him for his burial, for what's getting ready to come in six days when he's going to die. The other thing that's happening is that he's being anointed as king. In 1 Kings 1, we see David, kind of the greatest king of Israel, getting ready to pass the crown off to his son Solomon. And so he calls Solomon, he calls the priests, some of the other main people in the kingdom, and he has them come. And the priest takes a horn of oil, we're told, and he pours it, kind of dumps it all over Solomon and anoints him as king. And then you know what they do? They take him and they put him on a donkey. And they ride him all through Jerusalem, letting everyone know that there is a new king in Israel, making sure that people are aware of what's just happened. In England, when Queen Elizabeth was crowned, you know what they did? They took her and they led her in Westminster Abbey to this thing called a coronation chair, where she sat on something called the Stone of Destiny, which is about as epic as you could ever dream of. And... When she was sitting on this chair, the Archbishop of Canterbury comes and brings oil and anoints her with the sign of the cross on her forehead, on her hands, and on her heart. And then they take her and they parade her all through London, letting everyone know that there was a new queen of England. Here in John 12, we're told that Mary comes and she anoints Jesus. And I think it probably splashed all over him, if we're being honest. I don't think it was a clean anointing. And then the next day, he gets paraded all through Jerusalem with the people yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. A new king is being crowned. We're one week away from Jesus' crucifixion. We're at the home of those famous siblings of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who we hear so much about, and they're throwing a feast. And this wasn't just a normal party. This was a thank you feast for Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's a pretty big party. I think the house was pretty full. People everywhere, followers of Jesus, all crowded and crammed in, excited about what God's doing in their midst. They're eating, drinking, they're having fun with each other. 
And then all of a sudden, Mary enters the room. And she comes over to Jesus with this jar of oil that smells so strong. And as she goes down on her knees, she breaks it open and it splashes everywhere. You never anoint somebody for burial. You don't anoint a king by just getting their feet wet. You get their head, you get their hands, you get their legs. I think he was covered with this stuff. There's no longer another scent in the entire house other than the smell of this oil that's everywhere, filling the entire place. You can't smell any food. You just smell this. And then she goes down on her knees and she begins to wash his feet, not just with, her, with the oil, but with her tears. She's weeping all over his feet. Washing someone's feet with water was considered an honor. This was different. And then she takes it another step and she takes her hair and she begins to wipe the oil off of his feet with her hair. Wiping somebody's feet dry with a cloth, with a towel, that was normal. This was different. If you were in this house, there was no way you could avoid what was happening. What you just saw, you cannot unsee. It's ingrained in your memory because it's outrageous. It's inappropriate. It's just kind of wrong according to all rules of polite society. And Judas is the first one to speak up and to start to comment on that. And he says, you know, I wanted some of that money. I mean, I wanted to get that money to give to the poor. And with him, every voice in the house starts to rise. Everyone's coming out of shock and they're starting to say, yeah, there's something wrong about this. I need to protect Jesus. I need to change this scenario. I can't be okay with this. This is wrong. What Mary's doing is wrong. And as every voice is rising, all of a sudden, Jesus does the one thing that no one in the house expected. He quiets them and he speaks and he says that Mary, the inappropriate, impolite, outrageous one, is the one who is correct in how she's interacting with him. And at that moment, every mouth and the entire house drops open. Paul Metzger is a theologian, and he wrote, we may ridicule Mary for how impractical, how outlandish and wasteful, but at times, authentic worship will appear as impractical, as outlandish, and as wasteful. Mary knows how to worship. She puts her heart, soul, and finances into it, and she doesn't care what other people think. Often we ask, how can we worship without having to be undone and lose it all? Mary doesn't ask this question. She's too awestruck, consumed, and overwhelmed. I think there's a few things that we can learn from Mary here. But the first thing is that in our worship of Jesus, we cannot be focused on worshiping him with, on our terms. We can't be focused on politeness and propriety. 
We have to worship Jesus on his terms and the way he wants us to worship him. Judas was focused on worshiping him on his terms. He spoke up and said, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not going to do this sort of thing. If this is what it is, I'm out. This is, this is wrong, uncomfortable, improper. This is going to start too many gossip trains. I, I'm not comfortable with this sort of thing. Judas tried to worship Jesus on his terms, and Jesus quieted him immediately. Our worship of Jesus has to be based on how Jesus wants us to worship him. He encouraged the one who wasn't looking for anything, but just wanted to give honor and to thank him. Because Mary knew Jesus. Mary had been with Jesus when her brother had died. When her and her sister Martha were kind of yelling at Jesus a little bit, saying, why'd you let him die? Begging him to do something. She was there when he prayed that very simple prayer, and all of a sudden, her brother, who had been dead for three or four days, walks out of the tomb. Mary had sat in front of Jesus and listened to him teach, listened to him pour out his heart. When everybody else told her that it was wrong for her to be sitting there, that she had other things that were more important that she needed to be focused on. Mary had taken the time to get to know Jesus, and she was so intimately changed by that that she knew the kind of worship that Jesus was looking for. Mary knew Jesus enough to know how he wanted her to worship him. And Mary's worship of Jesus encourages us to ask these simple questions. Have we listened to him? Have we sat in front of him enough to know what he wants? Have we listened to him teach, heard his heart, and suddenly grasped a hold of who Jesus is? Have we done more than just pay attention to the provocative parts, to the parts that we're happy that he says, to the things that we're looking for from him? Have we really began to glimpse who Jesus is? You know, if we have, I can guarantee one thing. It's going to be obvious because it's going to look a little strange to everybody else who hasn't. It's going to look a little off. Let me say it this way. If there's not a little ridiculous in your worship, then you don't know who you're worshiping. If there's not a little ridiculous in your worship, then you're not worshiping Jesus because that's what he wants from us. And the amazing thing is that that ridiculous worship is going to start to affect other people. Read John 12, 9 through 19 with me. See what effect Mary's actions had on others. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I like that last part. The whole world's going after him. You can't turn that tide. So let's set the scene. The city of Jerusalem, it's a uh, Passover feast. And every time that that happened, the city of Jerusalem would grow by somewhere around six to 10 times its normal size. It was normally around 50,000 people. So now all of a sudden there's 300 to 500,000. We get a lot of extra people when the marathon happens, but even with that, I don't think that we grow by 10 times the uh, normal population of Hopkinton. Everywhere is crowded with people. They're everywhere. They're popping out of holes you didn't even know were there. They didn't know that there were that many rooms that they could stay in, that many stables to hang out in. And on top of that, the crowds weren't just beginning in the city of Jerusalem, but we're told in the other gospels that they started about two miles outside of the city. Two miles of people on both sides of the road, yelling, cheering on Jesus as he's getting ready to come enter into Jerusalem. And then he reaches the city. Two miles of people shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Two miles of this is going on. And the crowds are taking their cue from Mary. Mary anointed her king in private. The crowds are anointing their king in public with excitement and joy in front of everyone. There's no one who's not getting a glimpse of what's happening here. And you know, I think that the people probably had heard about that kind of scandalous thing that Mary had done the night before. Because if there's one thing humans are not good at, it's keeping scandalous secrets quiet, right? (laughs) If there's something to tell people about, we're going to tell people. And what Mary did was pretty scandalous in their culture. It was going to get people's attention. People had heard about this thing that had happened just 12 hours before. A king was being crowned. Listen to Hebrews 13, 13 through 15 says, let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. So let's take our place outside with Jesus, pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. You know, I think that this the author of Hebrews here is hitting this story dead on because there's something sacrificial about what we see going on here. Mary gives sacrificially to Jesus in a small group with no expectation that it was ever going to become a teaching point or a talking point. She was just doing what it was that she felt that she should do for Jesus. And yet that action made it everywhere. It went outside. It couldn't be contained inside. It went where Jesus was. There's something about praising sacrificially, about worshiping Jesus sacrificially that cannot be contained. Sacrificial giving, sacrificial worship, it does something to us. It affects us when we see someone worshiping in a way that costs them something. When we know that it affected them, Most likely, Mary was not independently wealthy. There's a few hints here that tell us that. For one, she was a woman, and 
Unfortunately, in that society, women did not make money and they did not get control of the money. That was something that was left to the men in the family, the fathers, the husbands, the brothers, whoever was still alive. And on top of that, we're told constantly that her and Martha are together and that they're the sisters of Lazarus. And usually uh, in the Bible, if somebody's married to somebody, uh, we hear about who their husbands are. We're never told that. She's most likely not married. She's most likely not wealthy, which means that spending a year's salary on this oil would have cost her something. It would have hurt a lot. If we had to spend a year, I don't even think that we would think about it, honestly. I don't even know if it's worth pointing out. Uh, I don't think any of us in the room would probably be willing to spend a year's salary on something like this. That might uh, push us a little bit too far. It would hurt a little bit. This was extravagant. It was over the top. And out of that extravagance, other people began to give to Jesus in extravagant ways. In Mark 11, Mark tells us the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, and it says that many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut. The people weren't just cutting off branches and laying them down, but they were taking off their coats and laying them down on the ground. And these people didn't have time to run home and grab their junkie coat, their second or third coat that they're okay with being walked on. They were taking the ones on their back, and they were taking the ones on their back that they had saved for Passover. So this was like their good stuff, and they were laying it down. And I don't know if you realize this, but a coat that's been walked on, and maybe more, by a donkey is no longer your good coat. It's going to run it a little bit. That suddenly becomes your junkie coat right away. They had learned something. The crowd was learning who they were worshiping. They knew that they were worshiping the king. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which was an exclamation taken from Psalm 18, where we read to start our service this morning. It's a shout that was given to a king or a ruler who was entering into their midst when a group of people needed to be saved. When they needed help, they would yell that out. They would say, Hosanna, Hosanna, come and help us. They shouted for salvation and Jesus entered. They cut off palm branches and laid them down as he walked and as he rode down that street into Jerusalem. Palm branches weren't just the tree that was closest to them, that was the easiest to access. The palm branches being laid down so that the returning army could uh, ride over it, so that the returning king and generals could ride, ride over it when they entered after having a huge victory in a battle. And on top of that, they shouted, blessed is the king of Israel. There was no mistaking what was going on. The crowd is fairly obvious about what they're saying here. They're crowning a king. Stanley Hauerwas is a theologian. He says that Jesus's triumphal entry is an unmistakable political act. He is Israel's long expected priestly king whom the prophets said would come. And his entry into Jerusalem is rightly celebrated by those who are not in power. And of course, it was dreaded by those who were in power. Those in opposition to Jesus were immediately faced with a choice when this began to happen. In Rome, in the Roman Empire, 
where there was only one king and his name had better begin with Caesar. The opponents of Jesus were left with two choices. They could either crown him or they could kill him. There was nothing left. That was what was set when the crowds were yelling for the king to enter into Jerusalem. You know, as we look towards Easter, I think it can be sometimes easy as we're reading things like this to see Jesus as just a character in the story, as somebody who has things happening to him. It can be easy to think, poor Jesus, man, he's got a tough run. He's entering right now. He's on cloud nine. Six days later, he's going to be down in the dumps. He's going to be dead. But I just want to clarify something for us this morning. There is no poor Jesus anywhere in this story. Throughout this entire thing leading up to next week, there is one person who is in complete and total control of every single thing that is happening to him, and that's Jesus. In the week of Easter, his authority and lordship is put on display in kind of an amazing way as we all see who the one in control of each thing actually is. Because here we see Jesus coming to die on a donkey, a humble king in weakness and love, veiled deity with 12 disciples, bringing peace, wearing a crown of thorns, a suffering servant who came to save. But that's not the end. When Jesus returns the second time, He's going to come to reign on a warrior's horse, an exalted king in power to judge, fully revealed as God, with an army of angels wearing a crown like no other crown, king of kings and lord of lords. Few bow before him the first time that he entered, but when he comes again, everybody's going to bow before him. Today, Jesus enters Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. But friends, do not forget this important fact. Sunday's on the way. We know what's coming. The story is not just over. It's only begun. Even today, 2,000 years later, that's the good news. The story of the kingdom of God has only just begun. We've only seen a part. And I think in our worship of Jesus, he wants to show us an even bigger part. So if the worship team wants to come back up this morning, I just want us to ask simply these questions. Have we begun to learn who Jesus is and what he really desires from us? Are we willing to be a little ridiculous in our worship of Jesus, a little outlandish, a little over the top? Are we willing to acknowledge who we are worshiping and to let that be the guiding force not our desires, not what we're comfortable with, but simply who Jesus is. I'm not asking us to act like fools. That's not what I'm going at here. I'm just simply encouraging us to worship Jesus like you know who you're worshiping. Let that be the thing that guides us. Let's live that way. Let's live and worship and give extravagantly, showing the world who we worship. Amen. If you want to stand, we're going to go into a time of worship, and I just want to pray uh, and lead us into that time. Jesus, we just invite you to come to be here right now. God, I pray that you'll just quiet uh, any thoughts, any ways that we 
are uh, kind of screaming out inside for propriety, uh, screaming for you not to ask that of us, uh, things that we're, we've been nervous about giving up control of to you. Let us welcome in the King this morning. Show us who you are, God. I pray for each one of us that we will have hearts like Mary, hearts that want nothing more than to sit in front of you, to do what it is that you're asking of us, to learn more and more of who you are. Make that our reality this morning. And just say, come Holy Spirit, come and reign in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.